the next three or four weeks, what I want to do is, is in preparing our hearts for Christmas. Christmas is on uh, a Sunday this uh, year. And I want to take a chapter from the Old Testament, uh, several chapters from the Old Testament, that deal with the coming Messiah. And I want to uh, want for us to look at these things, at the birth of Christ from the perspective of the uh, Old Testament saints as they anticipate the Messiah coming and how they prepared, how they were to prepare themselves. And I think it's going to be a blessing to you. It was a blessing to my heart to just think through these things. But also I want you to see the sure word of God, the sure word of God, that what God says will come to pass. Um, I, I like this passage, Isaiah chapter 40, because it gives us hope. I, we see God's uh, loving kindness, we see comfort, we see grace, His grace, we see His sustaining power uh, on behalf of His people. And folks, that's what we need today. We need encouragement today. Uh, we look around at the uh, culture, and there's not uh, not a lot of encouragement today. When we see uh, the immorality, we see the, the spiritual decline in our day. And uh, we need to be reminded that God is still on His throne. And that uh, He is still aware of the affairs of man and his word will uh, become uh, made uh, fulfilled it will be fulfilled his word will be fulfilled and I want to move through this passage pretty quickly just Isaiah 40 I want to take the whole uh, chapter but I, I want to kind of give an overview of the book and this chapter and narrow it down to these three verses so that you can understand the three verses that I'll be dealing with in their context. The name of the book is Isaiah. It was named after the prophet Isaiah who wrote the book. And he was a significant man in the, in the new, in the Old Testament, a significant prophet, but also in the New Testament. Um, the prophet Isaiah ministered in and around Jerusalem for over 50 years, 50 years of ministry, 53 years, maybe even more. And it was about 700 years before Christ was born. Um, he ministered during the reign of four different kings in Judah. And uh, he is mentioned over 20 times in the New Testament. He's a pretty significant prophet. He's mentioned more than any other prophet in the in the New Testament. He's quoted 65 times in the New Testament, and um, 30 of his prophecies from or 30 of the prophecies from his book, this book of Isaiah, uh, were fulfilled in the uh, coming of Christ. And we see that again in the Old Test in the New Testament. Now, the book is divided into two major sections. The uh, first sections, the first 39 chapters, is uh, that God is judging Israel. And He will continue to judge Israel. Um, and because of their spiritual bankruptcy. They're successful people, but they were just spiritually declining. Moving further and further away from the Lord. And Isaiah was preaching against that. Trying to return Israel back to their spiritual state that they should be in. And then the second section is uh, dealing with salvation. 
that God will someday save Israel. And really, it's an evangelistic book. Um, it's a, it's a, a good news, if you will, for the Old Testament. And this book gives hope, gives comfort for uh, those Israelites who would turn to the Lord. They would be blessed, especially future blessings, in spite of God's promise to judge them, that they were going to be judged in 70 years, that God was going to take them into captivity from this foreign nation, Babylon and Assyria, take them in for 70 years, and that, uh, but God would ultimately bless them. God would ultimately bring them back into the land, bless them, and fulfill the covenant that God had made with their forefathers, Abraham. Now, the major source of comfort for these Old Testament saints, the major source of comfort for these Old Testament saints, was the promise of God. And we need to learn something for that, from that. They would hang on to the very fact that God said this. That's all they would have. We look back and, and we have, we, we see promises fulfilled. That God promised to send a Savior and He sent a Savior. But they didn't have that. They would, hanging on the very promise or the very word of God, and sometimes it would be years and even decades, Folks, the major source of comfort for us today is this same word. We must take comfort in this word. It is the word of God. And again, we have the advantage of looking back at the past and say, God promised this and then he, he fulfilled this. And, and that comforts our heart. That gives us um, hope, gives us confidence in moving forward. Now, I want to do a, just an, a brief overview of Isaiah chapter 40. And we'll, we'll start at verse 1. We'll just move through this very quickly. He says, comfort, O comfort my people, says our God. The, right away, this is a change of, of uh, kind of tone, if you will. The first uh, 39 chapters of this book is, is judgment. And all of a sudden he comes out with, with comfort. Comfort for warfare has ended. How in the world has the warfare ended? Well, they were to take comfort. They were to be encouraged. They were to have hope. Now, why should they have hope? In verse 3 we see a voice calling in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Verse 4 gives the details of that. Verse 5 then, he says, Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all flesh will see it. The glory of the Lord is, is going to be revealed. Uh, they should take comfort in this. That God is sending His King. God is sending uh, a, a Savior. The Lord is going to come. And their assurance that they should have in this is found in verse 8. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord, the word of God stands forever. So they hang on that word, that very promise that God is going to send the Lord. The Lord is coming. The Lord is going to come and, and bring peace when He does come. And the word of God will be fulfilled. And again, these, these Old Testament saints, they were hanging on to the one fact that God is a promise-keeping God. 
We, uh, we can have that same kind of comfort when we hang on to the very fact that God keeps his promise. That he is a promise-keeping God. But so often we neglect the word. We don't get our comfort from the word of God. We get our comfort from so many other things. Or at least we try to get our comfort from so many other things. Success, material success, stuff, education, the approval of other people. We want to be liked and then we'll be happy. We try to get comfort from those things when the real comfort is our hope in God and our hope in Him fulfilling this promise and fulfilling the promises of, that we find in Scripture. We dare not try to take comfort in other things, folks. We dare not take comfort in anything other than the Word of God. That is the source, that is the comfort that we as believers have. Now, what should Israel do about this? In verse 9, he says, Get yourself up on a mountain, a high mountain, O Zion, bearer of good news. Israel was the bearer of good news for the whole world. He says, Lift up your voice mightily, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. They're pro- to proclaim out that, that the Lord is coming, that God is coming. He is sending a Savior. In fact, it's their God. He says at the end of verse 9, here is your God. Proclaim this. But therein lies the problem. They're, They're trying to proclaim something. There's someone that they don't even know. And that was, that was the problem. He says, here is your God. And, and can they say that? Well, not really. They can't really say that, and that was the problem. They had turned away from the Lord. In fact, if you go back to Isaiah chapter 1, the very first chapter, verse 4, he says, Alas, sinful nation, people weighed down with iniquity. People so so consumed with their sinfulness, they're weighed down with it. Offsprings of evildoers, he says. Sons who act corruptly. They are. They have... Abandoned the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They have turned from Him. Spiritual bankruptcy. They're pursuing other things. Folks, that's a reflection, I think, of our day today. Uh, Our America is turned away from the Lord. It's one thing to not know, but it's another thing to to having known and then turn away and it's completely forget. That's where Israel was. They were to proclaim that the Lord was going to come and it was a Lord that they didn't even know. And in in fact, at this time, when uh, Isaiah comes along, he proclaims this and God says, I don't even want to hear your songs of praise to me. I don't want to, I don't want uh, you to even sacrifice to me anymore. I don't want to receive your worship. I will not receive your worship. Don't even pray to me. Um, That first part of Isaiah says they needed to be reintroduced to this God. Now, that's exactly what Isaiah does then. In verse 12, he, he says, well, what is this God like? Who is Who has measured the waters with the hollow of his hand? He makes off, verse 12, he marks off uh, the heavens. He calculates the dust. He weighs, weighed the mountains in a balance and the hills, a pair of scales. This is an all-consuming God. 
This is a, a God with all power. And this is a, a God that's far more powerful than they have experienced. In verse 15, he says, Behold, the nations are like a drop in the bucket. All the, verse 17, all the nations are nothing before him. They are regarded by him as less than nothing and meaningless. He is an all-consuming God, all-powerful God. This is a God that they are supposed to know. This is the God that they are supposed to have a relationship with and are supposed to be able to proclaim to the world that this God is, is coming. But they couldn't do that. They couldn't do that. It is not to be compared, verse 18, not to be compared with the gods of the, the nations. <clears throat> verse 18, who would you compare, or who would you, uh, liken God, or what likeness will you compare Him as for the idols of craftsmen? Like all the other nations, they were serving these other gods of, of wood and, and stone. No, He's not to be even compared to those those gods. This is the true and the living God. And He sees, He knows, and you have a relationship with Him. Verse 21, He goes on to say, Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Verse 22, Is It is He who sits above the circumference of the earth. And he and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. That's us. He is a, a, a powerful God. He is outside of time. He sees the whole earth at one glance. Everything that's going on. He is an all-powerful God. But I like the way he puts this. He says, do you not know? Have you not heard? And it, he, he says it in a, a sense of, of shock. And, and he, he's just pointing out their ignorance of this God. In verse 25, uh, he goes on to say, To whom will you liken me? This is God speaking. To whom will you liken me? That I would be his equal, says the Holy One. There's no one to, to compare with this God. He is the sovereign of the universe, the creator of the universe, in control of every molecule that's uh, on this earth. So what do they do? What do we do with this? How, how do we conclude with this? In verse 27, it says, Why do you say, O Jacob, assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due me escapes his notice? You hear what he's saying there? Oh, he, he's, he's distant. He, he won't see. He won't judge me. It escapes his notice. No, he's too busy. He's out there. It says, verse 28, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He goes on to say, He gives strength to the weary and lack <clears throat> and those who lack might. And he concludes in verse 31, he says this, Yet those who wait on the Lord will gain new strength. They will, be, they will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. What Israel was doing at this time, those uh, who are running were trying to hide from the Lord. There's no place to hide. 
It's only those who are humble that He'll sustain their strength. And so they needed to face the reality, folks, that their Messiah was going to come, this Lord was going to come, that they did not know, and they better be prepared. They had better be prepared. Now, the question is, what do they do? How do they prepare themselves? How do they, this God they're supposed to know, but they're so uh, much entrenched in their sinfulness that they don't know Him, how do they prepare with uh, for Him, for His return? I want to go back to verses 3, 4, and 5 and, and deal with this question. What does Israel do now? In verse 3, he says, As one calling in the wilderness. Now, if you're out in the desert, you can hear pretty far. And all of a sudden, somebody's calling out, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth the, in the desert a highway for our God. A highway for our God. Now, what's he talking about there? Well, this is, all of a sudden, this voice appears. This is an abrupt voice. This is an attention-getting voice. And this is obviously something important is happening um, there's an announcement being made here. There's a dignitary coming, a king coming, someone's coming that's very important. And they're, it's like a town crier crying out, getting everybody's attention here, clear the way for the Lord. That's exactly what's happening. Then he gives the details in verse 4, let every valley, low spot, be lifted up. And all the mountains be lowered. What's he talking about? Giving a flat plane here so that the, the Lord can, can just come rolling right into town. And let the rough ground be plain and the rigged, rugged terrain be a, a broad valley, he says. A broad valley. You get the picture. You see what's happening there. Now this is, this is obviously an illustration. Uh, this has spiritual infl- implications here. In, in the, uh, at this time, the, the monarchs, the kings at this time in the east here, they would send out, before they would go anywhere, they would send out a herald and he would uh, announce the king is coming. And in fact, there would be a road crew many times and to prepare the way. And they would fix the potholes, the ruts. Uh, they, would, they would carve off any of the, the roads that would be rough. So that the king would come. Of course, in um, in the Romans' day, in Christ's day, the Roman ro- roads were, were pretty amazing. An amazing feat. Um, they were built so well that some of them are in, still in existence today. The Roman emperors would send out a whole road crew, even engineers, and they would smooth the path so the carts wouldn't get uh, uh, bogged down in the ruts or anything like that. Now, what are the spiritual implications here? What, what's going on? Why give that kind of illustration here? Well, the fulfillment of this is in Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. I told you that Isaiah was quoted many times in the book of, uh, in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 3, we see one of those times. In verse 3, he says, this is the one referred to by Israel, the prophet, when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now, he's kind of summarizing that little that passage there. 
And he's referring to John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, and he was proclaiming out uh, the message of the Lord that he was out in the wilderness. And he says he was wearing uh, garments of camel hair and leather belt around his waist. And his food was locust and wild honey. But those who were in Jerusalem, they were going out to hear what this guy had to say. He was a prophet of the Lord. Obviously, the Lord was on him, and he was the prophet of the Lord. It was his task to prepare the people for the coming of the Messiah, Christ. That was He was to get the people ready for the Messiah to arrive. Now, how did he do that? Well, look at his message. Look what was happening. Israel was, or Jerusalem was coming out to listen to this prophet out in the wilderness. In verse 6, it says, they were beginning... They were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. Now, that's the first little key. They were confessing their sins. They were preparing their way for the the Lord to come, for the Messiah to come. And they were confessing their sins. In fact, that was what his message was. If you look in verse 2, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, we know that little phrase. That was John's phrase. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Um, And he was preparing the way for the Messiah to come. There's a couple of things in here. Number one is just humility. Humility. Dealing with their pride. They had to recognize their sinfulness... They had to recognize the the holiness and the glory of God. They had to recognize the fact that they were falling far short of God's glory. And then they needed to repent. There's a humility and a repentance there. They were preparing for the Messiah. That's what was to happen. And the main thing that needed to happen, folks, was to deal with their sinfulness. They had to deal with their sinfulness. Christ's main concern, folks, is our sin. Christ's main concern is for our sin, not our comfort. We were talking about this in Sunday school. We get this confused. We think our comfort should be more important than dealing with our sinfulness. But God doesn't see it that way. And we are so sinful. Many times we don't even recognize our sinfulness. We don't recognize it. We're like fish who are in the water. They are so saturated, so surrounded by water, they don't know they're wet, right? We are so saturated with sinfulness, and we're around people with sinfulness, that we don't know how sinful we are. And the question is, is how do we get to recognize our sinfulness? How can we come to recognize that? So sinful. We know we, we lie, But we're reluctant to call ourselves liars. We know that we get angry. We would never call ourselves murderers. We know that we lust, but we don't call ourselves adulterers. We know that we occasionally sin, but we don't call ourselves... We don't say that we're enslaved to sin. No, we're in control of this thing. That's exactly where Israel is. Exactly where Israel was at the time of, of Christ and the prophecy of Isaiah. And folks, it's the same way here in America. We don't recognize our sinfulness. So what do we do about this? Now, I just want to, I just want to take just a, a couple minutes and apply this passage. Because Christ could, could visit us at any moment, right? 
He could come back at, at any time. And if and I just want you to think about that. If he did, if he came back to your house and lived with your house, in your house for a week, what would he experience? What would what would it be like? And what would you feel self-conscious about? What would you change if he came and lived in your house for one week? And he saw your habits and he listened to your words. He saw your attitudes as you dealt with people. And he saw your anger. He saw your laziness. What would you change? Well, the thing that we need to do, folks, is to analyze our sinfulness. We have to recognize our own sinfulness. And I think we don't. Especially here in America. I think we, just because we have success in so many different ways, we don't think we are in need of a Savior anymore. And to prepare for a Savior, to prepare for a Messiah, we have to have a need for that Messiah. So I think we have to look closely at our hearts. And there's a couple of things I want us to say. See, number one, we have to analyze. Analyze our sinfulness. How do you deal with your sinfulness? Now think about this. How do you deal with your sinfulness? Do you excuse it away? Everybody else is doing it. Do you, do you not even think about it? Is it is, are you so callous now you don't even recognize it anymore? Do you just blame it on other people or blame it on your circumstances? Do you just try to fit in? Well, everybody else is doing it. I'm just, gonna, I'm just fitting in. How do you deal with your sinfulness? Number two, we have to evaluate our, our standards. That's what Israel was. They, they, were, they were all living about the same kind of life. Their standards were so low. We have to evaluate our standards. Are we living by the principles of God's word? Are we living by the, the wisdom of from God, from Scripture, or, or do we get our standards just from the culture around us? Do we get our standards from just our own preference? Again, do we just try to fit in, or do we fear man so much that we don't fear God anymore? Folks, we have to prepare ourselves. And the way to do that is we have to deal with our own sinfulness. To deal with our own sinfulness, to see our own sinfulness, we have to we have to think about it. We have to give an examination of our own heart. We have to analyze how we deal with our sin, our sinful standards, or our sin, uh, the sin in our heart. Israel was to prepare for their Messiah. By the time the Messiah came, they were not ready. They they completely missed their Messiah. In fact, they crucified their Messiah. They did not deal with their sins. There were some. There were some at the time of Christ that were hanging on to the very words, the very promise of God that He is going to send a Savior. And they were ready. They were ones who had humbled them their heart. They were ones that had um, repented of their sin. And they were ready when the Messiah came. Now, Folks, Christ is going to come back. We prepare for Christmas. Um, and that's a wonderful thing. But folks, we need to be prepared. Christ is going to come back. He is going to return to this earth. Are we going to be ready? Are we going to be ready as He fulfills His word? 
Are we going to be hanging on to that word and saying, yes, I knew it. I knew he was going to come. Or are we going to not deal with our sinfulness? Let our sinfulness blind us and just continue on our path and and do the things that we've always been doing? Or are we going to humble ourselves and get ready for our king and then repent of our own sinfulness and say, you know what, I cannot live the lifestyle that I'm living and await the king of the universe at the same time. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for just these words. Lord, this precious chapter from Isaiah and just preparing Israel. Lord, I pray that we would be prepared. John the Baptist uh, went for, before Christ and, and prepared the way and tried to deal with people's sins and sinfulness and help them to real, realize how sinful they are and, and get them to repent. Lord, may we not be fooled. May we deal with our own sinfulness in the right way, humbling our hearts before you and then turn to you in faith and repentance. Lord, help us to be prepared. Be prepared as we enter into this Christmas season. Be prepared for a a visit from our Messiah. We thank you for the promise of your coming again. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.